word of God. Amen. We're going to get right into the word of God this morning. And I have a question to ask you. This message is the title of this message is a question. And it's a question that I believe that the spirit of the Lord is asking not only this congregation, but asking every person in the body of Christ in the season and the time in which we live. I'm certain that as Christians, you know, because you are in tune to the spirit of God, the times that we are living in. We're living in the end of days. Some people say the last days, but we are living in the end of days. Amen. And so I say that to say this, the spirit of the Lord will have me to minister to you this morning on this title. And this title is, are you ready? It's a question that the spirit of the Lord is asking Christians, are you ready? Are you ready? And you may say, are we ready for what, Evangelist Diggs? Are we ready for what? Are you ready to fulfill your God-ordained assignment to be witnesses for Christ? Are you ready? I'm going to say it to you again another way. Are you ready to make yourselves available to God so he can utilize you to carry out his plans in this earth? The reason he's asking this question is because it's high time. It's past time for the church of the Lord Jesus Christ to get in line, if you will, for us to do what? To carry out God's purposes and plans in this earth. Now, see, for some people, this subject may strike fear on the inside of your heart. For others, this this subject may be something that you're not interested in at all. And for others, this subject may be something that you see it as something that your pastor should be doing or perhaps the ministerial staff at your church. But I'm here to tell you this morning that this subject is a matter of family. I'm going to say it again. It's a matter of family. I have been involved in evangelism for about 30 years. And so uh, I'm going to say maybe about, I believe it was last year, my husband and I, we were praying. And, and, the, and our team, we were praying and we were praying because the Lord told us in 2017 to hold outreach conferences. And if you were here, I believe on Wednesday night, we received that instruction from the spirit of God from two to three hours of praying in the Holy Spirit on purpose, several days looking for God's purpose. What does God want us to do with his ministry? Because it's not our ministry. It may bear my name, but it's not my ministry. It's God's ministry. I am nothing but, but a servant. I am nothing but a person that he is going to utilize that work his will through. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? And so during that time of praying, the Holy Spirit told us to hold outreach conferences. And as I shared with you on Wednesday night, we held 10 outreach conferences last year in 2017. Three of them we held in Bulgaria. But during that time before we were praying for these, praying for these conferences, the Spirit of the Lord said this to me. He said, it's a matter of family. And I had never seen evangelism from that side. I always saw it as we're ambassadors for Christ. I saw that we're called to do this. You know, I saw it from our point, our standpoint, meaning as Christians, this is what we are to do. But I never really stepped back and was able to see it through the eyes of God. But when God spoke to me on that day, he said to me, it's 
a matter of family. And when he said that, what God was saying, not only to me, but to the body of Christ, when it comes to the subject of evangelism, when you look at it through the God's eyes, if you will, God is saying to him, it's a matter of family. Because when God uh, designed and planned this world and mankind, he never... Does, he never planned for us to be in sin. He never planned for us to have to be delivered from Satan, be rescued from Satan. That was never his plan for us. He didn't plan for mankind to be in sin. Adam made that decision for us. We know in the book of Genesis when he did what? When he made a decision to disobey God. And as a result of that, then God had to send a savior, Jesus. And when he sent his son, Jesus, we know that Jesus walked on the earth. We know he did miracles. We know all the different things that Jesus did. We also know that Jesus paid for everyone's sin, all, any, and every person's sin. Anyone that would be born on this earth, he paid for their sins. He took their sins in his own body on the tree, the Bible says in 1 Peter 2.24. The Bible says that he went to hell in our place, and he died for our sins. He suffered in hell for our sins, but he didn't stay there. He rose from the dead. And when he rose from the dead, what did he do? He said unto his disciples in the book of Matthew, all power is given unto me in heaven and earth. And then he told them, I'm sending you. I'm paraphrasing. I'm sending you to take the power and the authority that I have given you to be witnesses. So now what does this mean? What this means is God has left us believers in the earth to do what? To minister to other people. To see to it that he gets his family back. Because God is concerned about every boy, every girl, every man, every woman, every youth, every person born into this world. God does not want them to go to a hell that was made for Satan and fallen angels. He wants them to go to heaven that was made for them. Amen? To live eternally with them. The first scripture I will have you to turn to is seen in the book of Hebrews chapter 9. And let's look at verse 28. Again, it's a matter of family. It's a matter of family. This subject of evangelizing, this subject of witnessing, this subject of sharing your faith with your neighbors, sharing your faith with your co-workers, sharing your faith, you know, when you're doing business deals, sharing your faith when you're at the beauty shop or the barber shop. This subject is a matter of family because God sees it and he sees it as I want my family back. I want my family back. Because see, everyone who has not yet made a choice to become born again. They are Satan's children. They have the very nature of Satan living on the inside of them. They don't have the nature of God. They're not God's children. They're God's creation, but they're not God's children. In order to become God's child, you have to become born again. You have to ask Jesus to come into your heart and to save you. You have to receive the gift that God has given in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. So God is yearning and wanting his family back. But God does not come down to earth to get his family back. God works through his children who are in the earth to beget more children in the earth. Amen? Are you ready? Are you ready? Look at Hebrews chapter 9 and let's look at verse 28. Note what it says. It says, so Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. And unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Jesus is soon to return. Jesus is returning soon. But when he returns, note what the scripture says. He is returning for them that do what? For them that look for him. When, when the word of God says here, for them that look for him, it is referencing those that expect 
him to come back. Those who fully expect for him to come back. Those who are waiting and who are looking for his return. It is talking about people who have made a decision that they are born again. Who have made a decision that I'm separated from this world and from what this world can offer me and I'm looking to live a life with God. I'm looking to go to heaven. I'm looking to be with God eternally. Not so tied up and tangled up in the world that you don't want to do anything that God has told you to do. You're not concerned about doing what God has said to do. You're not concerned with the things that concern God. The Bible says that we should be heavenly minded. Amen. And so what are we looking at here? We're looking at, are you ready? That's the question that everyone in here has to ask themselves. Are you ready to be used of God? Are you ready to allow God to utilize you to minister to your neighbor? Turn your Bibles to the book of James chapter 5. James chapter 5. James chapter 5. And let's look at verse 7. Because what we'll see here is the Father is waiting on you. I'm going to say it again. The Father is waiting on you. James chapter 5 verse 7, note what it says. Be patient therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth, and have long patience for it, until he receive the early and latter rain. What this particular portion of scripture is talking about, when it says that the, the, the husbandman, the husbandman is talking about God. It's talking about the Father, our Father God. And, and, and the illustration that it gives, it says that he waited for the precious fruit of the earth. The precious fruit of the earth is talking about people. And it's saying what God is like a farmer here, if you will. And the Bible tells us in St. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God is saying, I planted the best seed, if you will, that I could plant in the person of my son, Jesus Christ. I planted someone who was sinless, someone who would take the sins of the world. And I planted him so that he said, I planted him so I could receive a harvest. And the harvest is, he wants to receive the harvest of men and women, boys and girls, all throughout this time in which we live. And so it says that the husbandman, talking about the father God, what does he do? It says that he is waiting for the precious fruit. When it says waiting, it, says, it means he is expecting. He is expecting people to come into the kingdom of God. Now I want you to think about this for a moment. Can the unbeliever save himself? Can the unbeliever save herself? Can they preach the gospel to themselves? So then when God says that he is waiting for the precious fruit of the earth, he is waiting for the body of Christ to position, get in position to do what? To go and minister to the people who are lost, people who have not heard this gospel, people who have not received the gospel, so they can do what? So they can come into the kingdom of God. So when it says here that he is expecting he is expecting to receive people into his kingdom. He is expecting you and I as believers to rise up, to stand up, to take our God-given position as what? Soul winners for God. Or I shouldn't say soul winners, but let me say as ambassadors for Christ. Amen? Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready to be used of God? Are you ready to effect change on your job? 
Are you ready to effect change in your businesses? Are you ready to effect change in your neighborhoods? Are you ready to effect change when you go to the grocery store, the barber shop, the beauty shop? Are you ready to be used of God? Are you ready? Are you ready? Look at the book of Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. Because we must follow Paul's example. We must follow Paul's example. Paul made a statement here. And before we begin to look at Paul's statement, let me tell you a little bit about Paul. And if you're a church, you already know about Paul, but I'm going to share a little bit about, about him. Paul was a person who ended up getting born again. He was called Saul. His name was Saul. And he got born again on the road to Damascus. And in his conversion, God called him to a specific group of people. He called him to the Gentiles. Now, Paul did not carry out this assignment because he was called to do it. He carried out this assignment because he was obedient to do it. And as believers, we are called to be ambassadors for Christ. But just because you're called to do something does not mean that you will carry out the assignment. One has to say yes to the assignment and be obedient to the assignment. Are you ready? Are you ready? So Paul says to us, looking at Romans chapter 1, beginning with verse 15, Paul says to us, so as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel. Glory to God. He said, I'm ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. And he goes on to say in verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. Now, when he says, so as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel. He is saying with everything that is in me, I am ready to do my part. I am ready to do my part. He says, I am eagerly waiting to do my part. He says, I am what? Enthusiastically willing to do my part. Paul had a certain attitude about what God had called him to do. And you and I have to adopt a certain attitude based upon this area of being ambassadors for Christ that God has called us to do. And it goes on to say here, Paul said, when he made this statement, he said, with everything that's in me, I'm going to do my part. What was he saying? He was saying that no objection from others will stop me. He was saying no disapproval from others will stop me. He was saying no opposition or resistance from people will stop me from doing not what I was just called to do, but what I chose to be obedient to do. Are you ready? Are you ready? He says in verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the what? The power the power. What does the word gospel mean? It means God's good news of Jesus. God's good news of Jesus. That's the gospel. God's good news of Jesus. And he said, I am not ashamed. When he said that Paul is saying this, he is saying, I am not humiliated because of the gospel. I am not disgraced to be, uh, uh, to share the gospel or to tell people of the gospel. He said, I am not humiliated or disgraced to align myself with the word of God or to agree what God's word says concerning his son, Jesus Christ in public. We'll lift our hands in church. We'll praise God in church. But what about on your job? Do you talk about Jesus on your job? See, let me tell you something. When there is no way that a person can have a real prayer life, a real word life, 
And they spend time with God on a daily basis and they don't talk about Jesus. I'm trying to tell you. And you don't talk about Jesus. You don't talk about your Savior. You don't talk about the one who saved you. You don't talk about the one who healed you. You don't talk about the one who restored your marriage and healed your body. When you have a real relationship with him, you're somewhat like Jeremiah. Jeremiah said, it's like fire shut up in my bones. I have to tell somebody about what God has done for me. I cannot be silent. You see, it is time out for silent Christianity. Silent Christianity is what is causing things to go bad in this world. I'm trying to tell you. We have to stand up as the body of Christ. We have to stand up flat-footed with our shoulders squared back, standing in the confidence of God and his word and his anointing that lives in and upon us by the spirit of God. And we have to declare the truth of what God has done for us through and by his son, Jesus Christ. Because there is one Savior and his name is Jesus. Glory to your name, Lord. Lord God hallelujah I have a question for you this morning by the spirit of grace by the spirit of God are you ready 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 and so Paul says to you and I I am not ashamed of the record that God has given of his son I am not ashamed of the way that God made for salvation I am not ashamed that God said that the way a person must become born again is to receive of his son Jesus Christ in their heart. I am not ashamed of the gospel that, that caused me to get born again, that caused my family to become born again, that caused my body to be made whole, that caused my relationships to be restored. I am not ashamed. Because as a Christian, I've aligned myself with his word. I agree with his word. And Paul says, I am not ashamed. Now, Paul, when he was preaching and teaching about Jesus, Paul was beat. Paul was persecuted. People came against him. They tried to kill him. All types of stuff. I don't think anyone in this room has experienced being beat, somebody trying to kill them, and things of this nature for preaching the gospel. And yet, perhaps we're silent. But here he experienced all this negativity, but it didn't shut him up. It didn't cause him to sit in the corner and be silent. It didn't cause him to, to, to close his mouth because he knew that Jesus was alive and Jesus was a savior and Jesus would heal and Jesus could restore and Jesus would give salvation. And you and I know the same thing that Paul knows. But we have to make a decision that we're ready and we will not remain silent. That we're ready and we will do our part as Paul said he would do his part. What we must do as a body of believers is we must refocus our priorities. Turn your Bibles to the book of St. John. St. John chapter 4. We must refocus our priorities. And when I say refocus, what I mean by that is we have to adjust our priorities. Because we have, you, you know, we'll say, this is first. My, the, my job is first, or my, my children are first, or, or you know, or, or this is first. But what should be first? God should be first. God has an order to things. God is first. Of course, then your spouse, then your children, right? Then your work, et cetera, et cetera. 
But God and the things of God should be at the forefront of our hearts and the forefronts of our mind. You see, God is so in love with us that whatever concerns us to the minutest detail, he's concerned about it. But we have to return that same love and we have to be so in love with him that what the heartbeat of his heart is, we're concerned about it. Because what God is concerned about is his family. He wants his family increased. He doesn't want people to go to a devil's hell. He doesn't want people to live in this life. And as they live in this life, Satan is doing what? He is bombarding their lives. He's, he's taking over their lives. He's causing them to, to live beneath the standards that Jesus Christ was sent here to give people. And he is saying, I want my people back. I want my creation back. I want my people back. And you and I, we hold the truth. And we ride on the bus by people and don't say anything. We know the truth. And we say, hey, to our neighbors and never tell them about Jesus. We know the truth and we'll conduct business transactions month in, month out, year in and year out. And never share Christ with the person across the table. We'll go to the nail salon and let the person do our nails for six years and never share Christ. We'll go to the barber shop and allow them to cut our hair or the beauty shop and allow them to do our hair. And we'll go there and we'll never have shared Christ with the lady at the shampoo bowl or share Christ with the person that's doing our, heart, our hair. We'll go to the grocery store and know the people by name and they could be on their way to hell. You don't know because you never, never loved them enough, cared enough. Cared enough for God's plan, for God's people, for the heartbeat of God. And that is he wants his family back. He wants his family back. Adam's decision stole creation from God. And God said, and I sent a solution in the person of my son, Jesus Christ. And I have left my children here. People who are born again saved my children here to carry on my son's work. To share Christ. Are you ready? Are you ready? We must refocus our priorities. We must adjust our priorities. We must do what? We must change the emphasis of our priorities. We must change the direction of our priorities. Our priorities cannot just be us first, us first, us, 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 us. What I want for me, what I want for my family, what I want. No, our priorities have to be what God wants. You cannot do what God has asked you to do and not be blessed. How many blessings have you missed out in your life because you haven't lived this type of life? I'm talking about a lifestyle of evangelism. What have you missed out? How many family members are supposed to be saved, but they're not because you haven't planted that seed? Now, I'll say that because years ago, years ago, almost 30 years ago, I joined at, at the church that I, I attend, I joined something called SWAT. And I believe you have it here if I'm not mistaken. And when I joined SWAT the first six months, I was going every week on purpose on Saturday, going out. Because I learned that this was part of my responsibility as a Christian. Amen. And to make a long story short, I got trained up and learned how to do it. But even before I went to SWAT, after I got born, after I, I was, I shouldn't say after I got born again, when I got rededicated to the Lord, because I was born again as a little girl. Okay. I was raised in the church, if you will. But when I really got the things of God 
and I really uh, uh, learned about the things of God, I'm trying to tell you I went after him with everything that's in me, right? And so uh, when I start going to SWAT, what I found was this. After about six months of going and ministering to people I don't know, strangers, people I don't know, and people were getting saved or rededicated and coming into the kingdom of God. You know what God did? God went through my family after six months. And he, there were about five to six people in my family who got saved, rededicated. And some of them got filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking with other tongues. And actually, as I'm thinking about it, Minister Sharon Walker and I, we graduated Bible school together, she and I. And she was one of the, she was one of the people who God used to minister the baptism of the Holy Spirit to my sister and to my brother. She wasn't on staff, uh, you know, doing staff ministry. She was a lay person at the time, just like I was. Who just believed in what the word of God says? Who chose to act on what the word of God said? Why did I bring that up? I brought that up because the Holy Spirit brought up on the inside of me. Whenever he brings examples up, I, I give them. Amen? I also brought that up because apparently he wants you to know that when you get busy about his business, he gets busy about yours. Because when I was there faithfully serving in SWAT, ministering to people I didn't know out on the streets, then he menaced, he caused people to come and, and five to six people in my family got saved and filled with the Holy Ghost and rededicated back unto the Lord. How many people here, I believe in God, for people and their families to be saved, people and their families to be rededicated, people and their families to be filled with the Spirit of God? Get busy. Amen. Let's look at it. We're looking at we must refocus our priorities. St. John chapter 4 verse 1. Let's look at it. It says, when therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John. It says, though Jesus himself baptized not but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee. Referencing Jesus. Look at verse 4. And he must needs go through Samaria. Now when, well let me continue on reading. Then cometh he to the city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus therefore being wearied with his journey sat thus on the well and it was about the sixth hour. So what we see here in verse 4 is the scripture tells us that he must needs go through Samaria and that is referencing Jesus right? Now we know through scripture and in the gospels that Jesus only did what God told him to do or what God showed him to do. So when the scripture says that Jesus he must needs go through Samaria what it is saying here is this at this time the Jews and the Samaritans they had some racial tension going on between each other and the Jews looked at the Samaritans and they says ah oh, they're no good they're drunkards they're you know idol worshipers you know this that and the other we don't want to have anything to do with them and whenever they were going to Samaria they took a route where they would go around Samaria instead of going through Samaria but God has something else in mind and the scripture says he must needs go through Samaria. So the Holy Spirit was saying, uh-uh, Jesus, you're not going around Samaria. You're going to go through Samaria. And note it says that when he was there, he was wearied from his journey. Note that God also did not care about racial tension, nor did he care that Jesus was tired. 
And who did he bump into? A woman, a Samaritan woman. And I'm going to paraphrase the rest of this story until we pick up where I want to pick up in the next verse. But with this story, what did Jesus do? Jesus began to witness to the woman at the well. And as he witnessed to this woman at the well, this woman ended up becoming born again. And Jesus did what? Jesus told her about her five husbands. He asked her a question, right? And, and he said, oh, what about these five husbands? She said, oh, this man is a prophet. How did he know about what's going on in my life, right? I didn't tell him anything, right? But what you see here, do you see that Jesus started the conversation yes, yes. with a stranger yes. where there was racial tension? God didn't care. God didn't care. God didn't care. He was tired. God didn't care. You want to know why? Because it's a matter of family to him. He didn't care then. He doesn't care now either. What does that mean? He wants us on our post. He wants us carrying out what he has called us to do as ambassadors for Christ. He doesn't care if the person's color skin doesn't look like you, if their ethnicity is different from yours. God doesn't care. You want to know why? Because God made us all and God loves us all and God wants us all to receive of his son Jesus Christ and he wants us all to live eternally and forever with him. That's why God does not care and so we have to erase all this stuff that we learn from the world and we have to embrace the love of God and embrace what God has called us to do and we have to go forth as the body of Christ Jesus is the head and anybody that's born again is his body and he is looking for his body to go out and to do what he has called purpose and ordained for them to do it's a matter of family now let's pick up with verse 25 we have to refocus our priorities we have to adjust our priorities we have to change the emphasis that we have on things. Let's look at verse 25. Let's pick up with the story. The woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When he has come, he will tell us all things. Jesus said unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. And upon this came his disciples and marveled that he talked with the woman. Yet no man said, what seeketh thou or why talkest thou with her? Now, it says that the disciples, they came to Jesus. They had went away to go get some food, okay? And now they're coming back and they say, Jesus, talk, what's Jesus doing talking to this woman? We don't talk to Samaritans. You know, we got some racial division and, and tension going on between us. What is he doing? But they dare not say nothing to Jesus, it says in verse 27. But look at verse 28. And it says, the woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city and said to the men, come see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came unto him. In the meanwhile, his disciples prayed him saying, master, eat. But he said unto them, I have meat to eat that ye know not of. Therefore said the disciples one to another, have any man brought him out to eat? Jesus said unto them, my meat or my food is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Say not ye, there are yet four months and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. And he that reapeth receiveth wages and gathereth fruit unto life eternal, that both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. Now, what do we just read? We just read. That the woman left Jesus, left her water pot, ran to go tell the men of the city, I met a man. I met the Messiah. Messiah has come. Messiah has come. And the men said, okay, well, we're going to go to where Messiah is. 
And then while they're journeying, journeying to get to Jesus, then what's transpiring is the disciples saying, Jesus, go on and take some food. Jesus, go ahead and eat. Jesus, you need to eat. And Jesus said, look, my meat or my food is to do the will of him that sent me. And they said, they had to wonder, is somebody bring him some food? Has he eaten any food? Because when we left him, he was tired. And so Jesus says unto them, look, you don't have the right focus. Your focus is off. You're focusing on yourself. You're focusing on your food. You're focusing on what can bring you pleasure. And Jesus saying, but I'm looking at what's happening here. The father has sent me to minister to one woman. And this one woman has become an evangelist. This one woman has gone to a city and she's told the men about me. And look at them. Can't you see that the men from the city, they're coming towards us? Can't you see? And all you can think about is food. You want me to leave this multitude that's coming to me from the city? I can see them coming. And you want me to leave and go eat food? When my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work, I'm to minister to these people who are coming from the city to me? And he said, look, lift up your eyes. What was he saying? Intently and carefully look on what's happening. What was he saying? Contemplate and think about what's happening. Get your focus off of yourself. Put your focus on somebody else, on someone else. And he says here, Lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. He is saying it is time for these people to be ministered to so they can reap and receive of life everlasting. And he is saying the same to us as he said to his disciples, get your focus right. Readjust your focus. Stop thinking about just yourself. Think about you're going to heaven and you're so glad. You know that if symptoms of sickness and disease show up in your body, you know what to do. You go to the word of God. You speak the word. You command it to go. If turmoil shows up in in your life and, 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 and you have all this distress or heaviness going on in your life, you know what to do. Because you know the word of God. You know what to do. Because you've been born again. You're saved. You have the word of God. But what about your neighbor? What about the person that's walking by you on the streets? He says, get your focus off of yourself and focus on other people. Because to God, it's a matter of family to him. When you walk by people, I don't want you to see them the same. I want you to see them as people who are supposed to be family members. People are supposed to come into the kingdom of God. But it's up to us to do our part. As Paul said, we have to do our part. So I'm going to ask you the question again by the spirit of God. Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? Because God wants his kingdom filled. (laughs) Glory to God. He wants his kingdom filled. Turn your Bibles to the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Because you have to allow your voice to be heard. You have to allow your voice to be heard. Allow your voice to be heard. You choose whether or not you're silent when it comes to this subject. But then there are other subjects we can't shut you up about. But when it comes to Jesus. When it comes to telling somebody Jesus will heal you. 
Jesus will restore your family. Jesus will provide for you supernaturally. Jesus will restore your marriage. Jesus will save you. He'll rescue you from Satan and from sin and his dominion over your life. You don't have to live this type of life. Life doesn't have to be this way. It can change. We're silent. Silent Christianity. But we're never supposed to be silent. Allow your voice to be heard. First Thessalonians chapter one. And let's begin with verse one. Paul and Sylvanus and Timotheus unto the church of the Thessalonians. I messed this word up. Help me, Jesus. Thessalonians. There you go. Which is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 2, we give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God, our Father. Now, who is he talking about? He's talking about the church at the Thessalonians or the church at Thessalonica. And he goes on to say in verse 4, knowing, brethren, beloved, Knowing, brethren beloved, your election of God. Now look at verse 5. For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost, and in much assurance, as ye know what manner of men we were among you for your sakes. And ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost, so that we were in samples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. For... From you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to Godward is spread abroad so that we need not to speak anything. He's saying everybody is talking about your faith. Everybody is talking about your voice. Everybody is talking about your witnessing. Everybody is talking about what you all have done to do what? To spread the gospel. For they themselves shew of us what manner of entering in we had unto you and how ye turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. So what are they saying to them? They're saying to them, this church here, this church got born again. And when this church got born again, they didn't waste any time doing what God called them to do. This church got born again and they got busy. They allowed their, wor- their, their, their words or their mouth or their voice to become like a trumpet, to give a clear sound. That's what a tr- trumpet does. It gives a clear sound. They allowed their voice to trumpet and to go out and to tell other people about Jesus Christ. And it says that people all over the region where they went and any place they went, they were telling people about Jesus Christ. So much so that people were being born again. People were coming to the kingdom of God and it was spreading what they were doing. And they heard about them allowing their voice to be a trumpet for God. Sound it out when it says here in verse five, for from you sounded out the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord, meaning you preached it, you proclaimed it. You broadcast it. You allowed it to be spread out and to be made widely known. You gave a clear message. And these people were idol worshipers. I could hear them preaching. I could hear them say, 
Yeah, we, we, we had idols that we were worshiping. You all may know some people like that now. In the book of, I believe, Psalm 115, if I'm not mistaken, it talks about false, fake gods and idols. It said, hands have they, but they handle not. Eyes have they, but they see not. Mouths have they, but they speak not. And so I could hear these people saying and witnessing and saying, we used to worship these dumb idols. We used to worship these idols. These idols are nothing but the relics and things. That These idols are not, they can't do anything for us. They're not the true and living God. There's only one and his name is Jesus. I can hear them preaching their own testimony about what God did for them. It says that from them, the word of God sounded out. It trumped it out. And don't you know that they use their own life? Don't you know that they use their own story? Don't you know they use it what God delivered them from to share with other people? And so now we have to ask you, will you do the same? You have to allow your voice to be heard. Turn your Bibles to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I'm going to say it again. You have to allow your voice to be heard because God doesn't force anybody to do anything. God, he, the Holy Spirit, he's a gentleman. He's not going to force you to do anything. You have to make a decision to say yes. You have to make a decision to submit. You have to make a decision to yield to God. But I'm trying to tell you, when you make a decision to yield to God's way, to yield to his plan, to yield to what he has purposed and ordained for your life, that is when you see the blessings of God show up. That's when you see the blessings of God flow in your life. That's when you begin to walk on the path that God has designed for your life. You want to see change? Begin to change the lives of other people. You want to see change? Begin to put God's heart's desires first in your life and you'll begin to see change manifest on the inside of your life. Why? Because the heartbeat of the Father himself will become your heartbeat. And you cannot beat God given. I'm going to say that again. You cannot beat God given. Saving people from an eternal hell never made for man. Never made for man. You've been given a message. So since you've been given a message, you should allow your voice to be heard. Second Corinthians chapter 5, and let's begin with verse 17 and note what it says. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, in Christ just means a partaker of Christ. You're born again. If any man be in Christ, he is a what? He's a new creature. He's a new species of being that never before existed. You know, when you get born again, what, when you get saved and born again, what's saved is your spirit, the real you. You are a spirit. You live in a physical flesh body. You possess a soul with your mind, will, and emotion. You, the real you, got born again. You became a new species, a, a, a being that never before existed. And it goes on to say in verse 17, all things are passed away. Behold, look, all things are become new. And all things are of God who have, past tense, reconciled us. And the word reconciled just simply means restored. And all things are of God who have reconciled or restored us to himself by Jesus Christ and have given to us the ministry of reconciliation. To wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them and have committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then are we ambassadors for Christ as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead be ye reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. 
We have been given the message to preach. People may say, well, I don't know what to say. Well, God has already given you what to preach. He's already told you what to say in his word. Let's look at it a little closer. Look at verse 18. And all things are of God who hath past tense reconciled or restored us to himself. Mm. Here God is being an example. He restored us to himself. How did he do it? It says by Jesus Christ and hath past tense given to us the ministry of reconciliation. So what do we see here? God is saying. That what I did was I sent my son, Jesus Christ, to restore you back into myself. That's what he's saying. I sent my son, Jesus Christ, as an exchange. I said, Jesus for the world. Jesus for every boy. Jesus for every girl. Jesus for every man. Jesus for every woman. He said a swap took place. An exchange took place. This is what he said. That right there should tell you something about yourself. That should tell you something about your value. That should tell you how God sees you. That should tell you that you should not listen to what other people say about you as it relates to your importance, not only to God, but your importance, period. Because God said that you're valuable. God said you are worth the very blood and the life of his son, Jesus Christ. But since God said you're valuable, don't you know that that means your neighbor is valuable too? The neighbor is valuable too. That's why he's given us this assignment. Because the neighbor is valuable too. And so he says to us here. I've given you a message. Look at it. I want you to look at verse 19. Because this is what God is saying. The word to wit. The two words to wit. This is what it means. It means that is. That is. So now let's read verse 19, putting that definition in there. That is that God was in Christ reconciling or restoring the world unto himself, not imputing or charging their trespasses, sins, or iniquities unto them, and have committed unto us the word of reconciliation. So what is God saying? God is saying, I was in Christ. I was restoring the world back unto myself. He said, I didn't send anybody. I was in Christ bringing the world back to myself. This is what he was saying. He said, this is how important you are to me. He said, reconciling the world unto me. He said, not imputing their sins unto them. So he is saying, this is what you tell people. You tell people that I love them so much that I sent my son for them. And you tell people that I was in my son restoring and reconciling and bringing them back unto me because I love them. He is saying, you tell them that I'm not charging or holding up or counting up their sins against them. You tell them that because I, you tell them I've taken their sins and I put it all on Jesus. What separates a man or a woman from God? Sin. Sin has been removed. It's been removed out the way. Sometimes when I witness to someone, I remember this. Well, again, when the Holy Spirit brings it up, I give the example. I was ministering to this gentleman one day. And as I was ministering to him, me and two other people, this is what happened. He had, he had a vodka in one hand and he had marijuana in the other. 
And he said to me, well, I can't, you know, I can't receive Jesus Christ. He said, look, and he lifted up both hands and he was showing me the vodka and he was showing me the marijuana. And I said, sir, let me tell you something. I said, Jesus has already died for vodka and marijuana because all that equates to is sin. I said, he's already died for that. I said, now, I said, so since he died for that, that sin, sin's been removed off the table. Now what? Now what? Now what, what are you going to do now with the person of Jesus Christ? Because the sin issue has been taken care of. God sent the son Jesus Christ to take care of sin. Sin is not the issue. The issue is not that people don't necessarily want God or want Jesus. The issue is people don't know enough about Jesus. Because if you know that Jesus died in your stead for you in your place to do what? To take care of your sins for you when he was sinless. He didn't have sin. But he took on your sins and then he went to hell for you in your place. And he paid for all the sins that you have done and that you would do in your life. And then you turn around and he said, if you get sick, I heal you. And he said, and you know what? You don't even have to get sick because you can get enough word on the inside of you to cause you to be immune from sickness. And he said, you know what? I know this world is full of trouble and turmoil. He says, but I have a peace that comes not from this world that will shield your mind and your heart and that will keep you in a bubble of the Holy Ghost if you will he says don't you know that I'm so good I'll restore your family if it's broken I will bring peace unto them who would not want to serve a God that will provide for them divinely and provide for them supernaturally he said I will pay your bills I'll do more than pay your bills he said I will make you and bring you to a point that you are self sustaining because of me Jesus I can bring you to a place where you owe no man nothing but love see it's not that people don't want God it's that people don't know enough about God it's that they don't know enough about what his son Jesus did for them they don't know that the spirit of God will come and live on the inside of them and give them life eternal they don't know that his spirit will come and rest upon them and his spirit will rest upon them and cause them to walk through this life victoriously it's not that they don't want God it's that they don't know enough about God are you ready I said, are you ready? I said, are you ready? I'm asking a question and I'm not asking this question. I'm nothing but a mere messenger person. The spirit of God is asking this question. Are you ready? Because what you have to realize is the spirit of God knows what time it is. You see, you and I, we're fixed in time, but God is eternal. He stands outside of time and he looks in and he says, oh, it's a short time. Time is almost running out. That's why you see all these things going on, upheavals in governments. You see all these things going on. People are doing things that you never thought in your mind you would see. Parents are killing their children. You see uh, young people who are killing people, uh, killing their children, six months old, smothering babies, putting them in microwaves, uh, you know, all types of crazy stuff that you're mind couldn't even imagine why because we're living in the end of days and Satan knows his time is short 
And so he is amping up, if you will, his antics. But I'm trying to tell you, God is calling on his church, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, to stand up in the midst of the time in which we live. Stand up and be a witness of Jesus Christ. And when you witness, you don't witness by yourself. You witness with the power of the Holy Ghost and the Lord Jesus Christ himself standing next to you. And he is saying it doesn't matter what the devil brings to the table. He cannot come against the Holy Spirit of God and the power of God. Realize the time that you live in. For the days are evil. But that's all right. Because the greater one lives on the inside of us. Greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. Greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. It's nothing for you to be afraid about. This is your time, church. This is your time, church. This is the time where the Spirit of God rests upon you to do that works that we see in the book of Acts. Uh, for you to lay hands on people and they'll be healed in the name of Jesus. Uh, uh, for you to speak a word of God by the Spirit of God and it causes somebody's life to be turned and changed. This is your time to shine. Because the Spirit of God will rest upon you for God's word to be done and his will to be done in these days in which we live. Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? Glory to your name, Jesus. Hallelujah. Glory to your name, Lord God. He says, you tell them. You tell them I'm not charging sins against them. You tell them. You tell them. You tell them. You tell them. them. Glory to your name. You're ready. You're ready. I'm going to tell you, you're more than ready. Why? Because you've been empowered by God to do it. Turn your Bibles to the book of Acts chapter 1 verse 8. (laughs) Glory to your name. Turn your Bibles to the book of Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Glory to the name of the Lord God Almighty. Know what the word of God says here. Jesus speaking. And, and Jesus is speaking to his disciples right before he's about to leave them to go into heaven. And note what he says. This is after he's risen from the dead. He's showing himself to his disciples. And note what he says. It says in verse 8, but ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Now, Jesus was talking to them and telling them that they would be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, because that is where they lived at the time. So what God would say to you today, he said, you will be a witness in the Virgin Islands. You will be a witness in St. John. You will be a witness in St. Croix. You will be a witness in, I think it's the British Virgin Islands. You will be a witness when you go to the States. You will be a witness to all the world. But ye shall receive power. But ye shall receive. Power must be received. I'm going to say that again. Power must be received. He said, but ye shall receive power. If you were to study this out, it's talking about that a person must not only be given something, but they must take it actively aggressively say oh yeah this power belongs to me so I just don't receive it and do nothing with it but I receive this power and I actively do something with it meaning I do what I yield myself to be a witness I yield myself to be used of God but ye shall receive power when and power is talking about dunamis dunamis in, in the Greek the word power means dunamis here and it's talking about you receive a force 
You receive ability. You receive might to do what? To be a witness. Note this. If you've ever been called to go to court and you were called as a witness to sit on the witness stand, let me tell you what you didn't do. When you were asked a question of the judge, you were not silent. Because when you're called to be a witness, you're supposed to bear record. You bear record of what you've seen. You bear record of what you've heard. You bear record of the experience that you have as it relates to the subject at hand in the courtroom. That's what a witness does. And so he says, but ye shall receive power, ability, and might. Dunamis, explosive power to do what? To be a witness. To be a witness. To bear record of what you've seen about Jesus. What you've heard about Jesus. What you've experienced about Jesus in your life. Don't you know that when you and I stand before the Father, don't you know he's going to say, what did you do with the power, with the ability that I gave you? Because I gave you this power and this ability for you to be a witness of me, for you to bear record of me in the earth, in the land that you live. What did you do with the power? What did you do with the ability? What did you do with it? Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? You're more than ready because you've been empowered. When you get born again, the Holy Spirit comes to live on the inside of you. When you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking with other tongues, the Holy Spirit comes upon you. But ye shall receive power, ability, might. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And Jesus said, you shall be witnesses of me. The word shall is the strongest assertion in the English language. You shall, shall be witnesses of me. Let's go to Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter 16. We're about to come to a close. I want you to know as we look at this portion of scripture in the book of Mark chapter 16 that God has entrusted you and I with the eternal lives of people. Eternally in heaven or eternally in hell. Eternally in heaven or eternally in hell? Who did he entrust with the weight of that assignment? The body of Christ? The family? God is our father. Jesus is our elder brother. Jesus the head. We're his body. Anybody that's born again is saved. We're his body. Jesus went to heaven. He left us all we need to be effective witnesses of Jesus Christ. And the father expects his children to be involved in the family business. This is family business. This is family business. This is family business. And so it says in Mark chapter 16, beginning with verse 15. Again, this is after Jesus had gone to the cross of Calvary, rose from the dead. And he is showing himself to his disciples and know what he said in the Great Commission. And verse 15, and he said unto them, go ye into all the world. Go. That's opposite of being stagnant. Go ye into all the world. And do what? And preach. Proclaim. Declare. The gospel. God's good news of Jesus to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. And he that believeth not shall be damned or condemned. 
And these signs, plural, shall follow them that believe. These signs shall follow them that believe. He says, in my name, Jesus said, in my authority shall they cast out devils, number one. They shall speak with new tongues, number two. They shall take up serpents, and if any deadly thing, and if any, and any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. So then after the Lord had spoken unto them, he received, he was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. And they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. Jesus said, I have given to my church disciples, followers of me, Jesus said, I have given you the great commission. Go, preach. He says in this portion of scripture that we read that Jesus will confirm the word spoken, meaning this gospel is designed to be preached. God chose to choose the foolishness of preaching of the gospel to cause men to be saved. And so if you and I do not do our part, as Paul stated, then we cause Jesus to miss out on his part in the Great Commission. What do I mean by that? Well, look at verse, look at verse uh, 20. And they went forth and preached everywhere. The Lord doing what? Working with them. And confirming the word with signs following. But if the Christians are not going out and preaching, then Jesus can't confirm anything. Jesus can't work with anybody. You'll cause Jesus to miss out or be hindered in his part in the Great Commission because his part in the Great Commission is to work with you. To confirm the words that you say. To confirm what you speak. Meaning you speak and you tell somebody about Jesus and Jesus will confirm and make good your words. Our last scripture. 1 Timothy. Our last scripture. 1 Timothy chapter 1. Verse 7. First Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. I'm sorry, I apologize. Second Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. Second Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. The number one reason that Christians do not witness, do not share the gospel as ambassadors for Christ. And you know, an ambassador is simply a representative. It's because of fear. Fear. They're afraid. What is this person going to say about, think about me? What is this person going to say about me? Well, I don't know what to say. All that is fear. It's all seated, rooted, and based in fear. I'm going to tell you something else is, is based in. Selfishness. Because the fear is based upon how someone sees me. The fear is based upon what are they going to think about me. The fear is, well, I don't know what to say. It's all about you. It's all about you. It's all about you. It's all about you. And it should never be about you. It should always be about what does God want? What does my father want? Because we're in a family business. And this subject is a matter of family. Now note this, that's what we have to deal with the spirit of fear. Because fear is a spirit, 
And guess what? It doesn't belong to anybody that's born again. When do you see someone being afraid showing up in the Bible? You see it in Genesis after Adam and Eve fell and God comes into the garden and they hid themselves and they said because they were afraid. That didn't come from God. You look at Galatians chapter 5 verse 22 and 23, you get God's nature there. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, meekness, temperance, right? Fear doesn't come from God. Doesn't belong to you, doesn't belong to me. And we should not allow it in our lives. Amen. Not for one moment. Amen. As Christians. Look at first, 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 7. This is our last scripture. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear. For God hath not. He hath not given us the spirit of fear. But of power and of love and of a sound mind. Be not therefore ashamed of the testimony of the Lord. Paul says, nor of me his prisoner, but be thou partakers of the afflictions or the pressure of the gospel according to the power of God. Who saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. But in verse 7, we, we have Paul talking to Timothy and he tells him, for God have not given you the spirit of fear, Timothy. And if you were to look at 1 Timothy chapter uh, 6, you will see that Timothy was dealing with people who were opposing his faith, coming against his faith. And Paul says to him, for God has not given you the spirit of fear, Timothy. What does that mean? I have not got, he said, God has not given you the spirit of timidity or cowardice. You shouldn't be a coward. He said, you got the spirit of God living in you. You have the Holy Spirit upon you. You have the word of God that made everything. What are you doing afraid, Timothy? What are you doing backing up, Timothy? Don't you dare be timid. Don't you dare be a coward. He's saying God has not given you that spirit. The spirit God has given you is one of power. And the word power here, again in the Greek, means dunamis. I have given you, God said, the spirit of power, the spirit of might, the spirit of ability. He goes on to say, I have given you what? The spirit of love, agape love. You can love like me, God says. And I've given you a sound mind. Self-controlled, disciplined mind. A mind of good judgment. And any person who makes a choice to say yes to be an ambassador for Christ. Yes to receive the power that God has given them because power must be received. Yes, Father God, I make a choice to do what you've called me to do. That's a person that has a sound mind. If you're in here today and you know and God knows the real reason you have not been actively on purpose living a lifestyle of evangelism, being an ambassador, a representative for God and preaching and sharing the gospel. And you know the real reason is due to the spirit of fear. I want you to come up here because I'm going to lay hands on you today in the name of Jesus. And we're going to break the spirit of fear off of you in Jesus name. Don't be ashamed. Just come on up and receive what God has for you. If that's you, just say, excuse me, ma'am, excuse me, sir. I'm going to get 
what belongs to me because I have an assignment. I have an assignment. And I'm not going to stand before God and God is not going to ask me what did I do with the power and the ability that he gave me and I've done nothing with it. If the spirit of fear, the real reason, you know it and God knows it. You should be making your way up here in Jesus' name.